So often, we forget simple truths. I speak for myself. Simple truths we need to be reminded of so often. In fact, perhaps the most foundational, simplistic truth that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again, we need to be reminded of. Some of you know that I have a little pet peeve with gospel tracts, little gospel leaflets, pamphlets. And um, it grieves me at how many good tracts um, are no longer good because they don't have the gospel in them. Because sometimes as Christians, we take so for granted the simple fact that Christ died and rose again. And this is the basis of our faith. And so if you ever write in a gospel track, no matter how creative it might be, don't forget the simple truths. It is so simple for us to overlook them or to take them for granted. And it's interesting at how God knows this about us. And so God created something very special for his family, for his church, something for us to do to remind us of his great sacrifice for us, to cause us to take time to stop, to think, to remember, to give thanks, and to be encouraged to keep on going till Jesus comes. We sang some beautiful songs this morning looking forward to that day of when Jesus comes back. Oh, what a day that will be. Did you know that right now, in heavenly places, Christ Jesus is seated? He is the creator of the grape. He is the creator of all the vines in the world. He speaks of the fruit of the vine being something that is precious and glorious, something that delights man. But you know he is a man now for over 2,000 years has not partaken of anything of the fruit of the vine. What he created, what he said was to delight man. He himself has not partaken of for 2,000 years. Yet, he has told his family, his body, his church, to drink of the fruit of the vine in remembrance of him and to show forth his death till he comes back. I am speaking, as you may have already guessed, of communion, the Lord's table. It is a time in which we as the family of Jesus, his body, gather together to stop, to pause, to remember our Savior to remember his shed blood, his broken body, to remember that he died for me. He died for us, yet he rose again. He ascended on high, and he is there seated at the right hand of the Father, having promised to come back. And we, as often as we do, pause to remember to give thanks, and to look forward to his coming again. Would you take your Bibles, your copy of God's Word, and would you turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew? 
Matthew chapter 26. I hope you all know the history of Jesus. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the creator of all things, whom God the Father sent to be the Savior of the world. Though he is God, he humbled himself and he became a man. He humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. But he was unlike all other men ever to live. For he was born of a virgin and he was born without sin. And he never committed sin. He was always perfect. He was always good. He not only did not do the wrong things, he did all that was right and good that he ought to have done. He was without sin. His life is amazing to study. And here in Matthew chapter 26, we come to the night before his crucifixion, his death. And if you look with me, follow with me in verse 17, Matthew 26, 17. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The Master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with thy disciples, with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. They were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Lord Jesus, we bow to you and give thanks. We give thanks for your shed blood 
which washes our sins away. For without the shedding of your blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sins. We give thanks this day for your broken body, which was broken for us. We give thanks today that you are alive, that you rose from the dead, that we are immersed in you, that we are a part of your body, that we are seated with you in heavenly places. And as we occupy here, as we continue in this life, may we not lose sight of that reality. May we always remember what you have done for us, and may it motivate us to continue faithfully serving you as we look for you to come back. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I pray now that you would help us as we look at this, this subject, this topic of the Lord's table, of communion, that you would teach us, that you would help us to understand it. And Lord, I pray that the truth and the reality of it we might apply and live in our daily lives as we serve you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As a church, we observe what we call communion or the Lord's table. If you have a copy of our church's statement of faith, you'll see there under the section regarding the church that we believe that the ordinance of the church are two. One, believer's baptism, and two, the Lord's Supper. And what is the Lord's Supper? Our statement of faith reads as this, the Lord's Supper, which is partaking by believers of unleavened bread, symbolic of the broken body of Christ, and grape juice, symbolic of the shed blood of Christ. We believe that there is no efficacy in the elements, and that the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to show forth his death until he comes. And so as a church, we believe there are two ordinances. You might say two are orders from Christ, specific commands for us to observe. One is that of believer's baptism, which we spoke of last week. That is believers, believers in Jesus Christ being immersed, baptized in water as a symbol and as a picture of the spiritual reality that when one believes in Jesus, he is put into Christ. He is identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and walks in newness of life. We also believe that the ordinance of the church is also the Lord's Supper, sometimes referred to as the Lord's Table, sometimes referred to as communion, sometimes referred to as the Eucharist. These are all different titles, different names. They have different significance. Now, one of those words you might tingle your ear and go, hmm, don't hear that often, especially in a Baptist church. Haven't heard it. You probably have never seen it listed in any bulletin that will have the Eucharist. So let me explain it. It's, 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 it's not an English word. And so if we were to describe it in English, it means thanksgiving, 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 the giving of thanks. And so that word is a foreign word that means the giving of thanks. That's exactly what we are doing when we are together at the Lord's Supper, at his table. We are having communion, fellowship, one with another, and with Christ, our Lord. 
and we are giving thanks. Here we read in Matthew chapter 26 the history of when this was first instituted. When Jesus there the night before his crucifixion, the night before his betrayal, he even identified the betrayer. He instituted this for us to remember. And thank God for 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 gives us more detail of this event in Matthew 26. But I'll tell you, I say thank God for, for 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but in some ways, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 was written because there was some problems. Really, in the church of Corinth, the Lord's Supper, the time of communion, you might say, was being abused. It was a rather, there was a lot of problem. People weren't really coming together and leaving, having a view of thanksgiving for the past and looking to Jesus Christ who's coming again. It seemed like they were coming together more worried about their tummies and uh, more worried about their own little uh, perspectives and contentions and debates that were going on than really it had to do about remembering, giving thanks, and looking for Jesus Christ to return. So there was a problem. Will you turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is the key passage in the New Testament to give us instruction regarding the Lord's Supper. We do not have time this morning to go into all of the detail that is recorded for us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. My goal in the series here, we believe, is to be very introductory and for us to give a summary of it and understanding the basics of it. But there's a lot here in 1 Corinthians 11. And it's not just in 1 Corinthians 11. Really, it's fascinating to me if you take the instructions given in 1 Corinthians 11, and if you take that as a, put it in the forefront of your mind, and this might be a good thing for you to do sometime, and then go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and read the entire epistle through, keeping this aspect of communion in mind, it's very fascinating to see at how this is a key part of what that church needs in a focus change. So is true for us. We need a focus change. I don't know about you, but I have an inclination. I have a default to start looking around at problems and looking at problems, troubles, tribulations, trials. And you know what it does to me? It distracts me from my Savior, from my Jesus, from the one who died for me. Communion is a wonderful time. As often as we observe it, to stop and to change our perspective as we remember give thanks, and look to Jesus, our blessed hope. I'd like to read 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 17 through the end of the chapter. Paul is dealing with some specific problems in the church at Corinth. Just to let you know, this church had some big problems, don't we all? This church gets a lot of um, attention for having big problems. And they had some problems as it related to the Lord's Supper. And Paul is writing here to help to instruct them. And he really rebukes them. Follow with me. I'd like to read the whole passage with little comment, and then we'll come back and focus on certain parts of it. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. 
Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. That you come together not for the better, but for the worse. He's, he's talking about communion. They're coming together for the Lord's Supper. And he's saying, you're not coming together for the better. You're coming together for the worse. Why? Well, let's bounce back to verse 16. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. There was a lot of contention. There was a lot of strife. There was a lot of trouble there in the church of Corinth. Corinth. And Paul says, this isn't our custom. This isn't the way we do things. Neither in Corinth nor in any of the churches of God. We are the churches of God. So then he goes on, verse 17, Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Boy, the rumors that started to spread about this church at Corinth, they had a lot of divisions. They had a lot of contentions. Verse 19, for there, must also, for there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. He's understanding and recognizing that there will be false doctrine, but he's also calling out to say that it will be dealt with and the truth will be sought after. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. We had a church of people where there were rich and poor, and they were coming together in the name of the Lord's Supper and of the Lord's table, and they were having a feast. But it wasn't a potluck shared. It was, uh, we're going to eat our T-bones over here, and they're going to go hungry over there. It, it, was, it, was, it was a very, very troublesome problem. It was, to put it bluntly, shameful. So he's basically saying, and just to give you the conclusion of all of this, if you look at verse 34, because he's going to now deal with the Lord's table specifically, which is really important, um, and then at the end, he comes back to this whole question of these feasts and these meals that were taking place. He says in verse 34, If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together into condemnation, and the rest I will set in order when I come. He's got some things he's got to set in order, straighten out in this church. And he first point here in this whole feast situation is here is, you know, the focus is here if you're hungry, eat your meal, eat your food, your daily sustenance in your own homes especially that there not be these contentions. Now, in verse 23 through verse 33, he deals with the Lord's Supper. It's kind of interesting to think about this because there's meal and then there's the bread and cup. You know, throughout Scripture, there's also a meal. This church seemed to have a problem with it. 
in, in the culture and the custom of that time, and it's something that as Americans in, in modern times, it seems not just in America, but throughout most parts of the world, we've lost the significance of, quote, breaking bread, of sharing a meal together. That is really significant and precious, and it is something that we need to do more of. Here in this case, there wasn't the breaking of bread together. They'd created these little, uh, we talk of them sometimes as click clubs and these little elitist groups and left out people, and it wasn't a coming together. And so the focus here of Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, is to help this church in all of their messes and problems that have now spilled over even into their meals that they were sharing together. And so he makes a focus now on identifying very specifically the Lord's Supper. For he goes on now in verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged." When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And so here now, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has set forth in more detail what the Lord's table is. And he records for us the history of what Jesus had established and set forth in this of the unleavened bread, broken as a symbol of the broken body of Christ, of the cup of grape juice as a symbol of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He then goes on and gives some very specific warnings that this not be partaken of un worthily. Now, there is a lot of struggle and stumbling block put up about that word unworthily. And the very simplest way for me to explain it is for the one to partake of this Lord's table, this Lord's Supper, who has not received the forgiveness of sins made possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who has not become a part of Christ's family, in that case, that one would partake 
unworthily. That's the reason why in our statement of faith, we speak of the Lord's Supper, which is partaking by believers. It is Christians, those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have had their sins already washed away, who are partaking of this Lord's Supper. If you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you haven't had your sins washed away by His precious blood, you ought not to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's not relevant to you, and this is really significant for you. That's the very basis of what that means. Again, this morning we don't have time to go into all of the detail because I want to come back to the question of the symbolism. But it does carry some significance for us as Christians. We're supposed to be remembering. We're supposed to be remembering. Now, if we as Christians come to this table and all through the week and all through the month and even in that very day, we with high hand just are defying our God and walking and living in sin, calling ourselves Christians, but not looking like Christians. This is a warning for us. Wait a minute. What's going on? You see, in the church of Corinth, Paul goes back and he talks of some of these different people, and you, you had different people in this church who were living in open and defiant immorality and yet calling themselves Christians. It's a problem later in Timothy where, where it's a struggle of this question of, are those people Christians? It's the reason why there was some warning set forth of even not to eat with those who are living in these immoral sins. The tie in parallel is actually very close to this symbolism of this meal, you might say, of this observance of the Lord's table. You... you, you you, you, why would you have fellowship with one who calls himself a brother, but yet is continuing persistently in immorality and in great wickedness? We had problems here in the church of Corinth that were of the most obvious sorts of, of blatant fornication and even incest, serious sins in the church. And Paul is dealing with these questions and saying, wake up unworthily means that you haven't received the forgiveness of sins. That's what its base meaning is. I believe it has an application by extension for us to consider and say, are we living as if we don't believe? And it's important for us to recognize that. For us to recognize, to say, those who have not received the forgiveness of God cannot partake of this. So if I have received the forgiveness of God, why do I not walk in the newness of life? And so by extension, I would say by application, there is a question that we all ask ourselves, is are we living as if we're unworthy of this? And the church is actually commanded that if there's one who is persisting in sin and he won't be restored, this fellowship is broken. And he's actually to be treated, even, he may call himself a brother, but if he's living in this, this evil and, and idolatrous and fornicating life, 
The church has said, do not have this fellowship with him. Separate in that case. And it has practical significance and vivid significance here in this case, here of the Lord's Supper. So if you sit the next time as we look to the Lord's Supper and have this question, and you may stumble over this question of being unworthy, may I tell you what you need to do? Look to the one who is worthy. Because I'll be perfectly candid. I am not worthy of anything but the judgment fires of hell. And neither are you. That's what we're all worthy of. And the whole point of communion actually is kind of to recognize that reality. And then to recognize that we as believers have been immersed in Christ. And his righteousness clothes us. And all of our worthiness is because we are one with Jesus. And in that moment, our pride will vanish. Our arrogancy will vanish. Our holding on to our sinful ways will vanish when we truly understand and realize that we are in Christ and all of our worthiness is because of him. Now that is for the one who is already a Christian. But perhaps you're not a Christian. Perhaps you're not in Christ. And you see others partaking of this, and perhaps you've been told by your mom and dad to wait, to abstain. That's good advice. Because this is for Christian people. And it's so important for us to recognize that we partake of this in remembrance and giving thanks of all that Christ has done for us as we look to him. My friends, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If you haven't had your sins washed away, if you haven't received the forgiveness of sins by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, then believe on him. Trust in him. Receive the forgiveness of sins so that on the first of the next month, the first Sunday, when we have communion, you can join us as one worthy to partake in this meal together as part of the family of God. Will you believe on Jesus? If you have already, then can I encourage you to rejoice and to look to the day of communion and celebration. Over the years, I've had many people share experiences of communion with me, and I myself, having grown up from a little guy, being there where mom and dad said not to partake of communion to now in this time of having times of understanding what this was. And sometimes we play very somber music, don't we? Sometimes we play very somber music, and sometimes we don't. Mr. Foltz used to play for us on the organ, and he'd go, he, I don't know if you ever noticed, he'd go back and forth from playing very contemplative, meditative hymns um, one month to the next month he would play those to God be the glory and he was playing the upbeat praise songs and I thought there was I think there was some intriguing value when he first, first suggested the idea of how it is true there is a time of somber reflection a 
appropriately so, but it also turns to glorious praise for what we are celebrating, because that's really what this is. This is not a funeral, it's a celebration. Sometimes somebody came to me and says, I, I don't like going to ha- participating in communion, and he, he wasn't someone from this church, and um, don't like it. And I said, why? He said, because it's worse than a funeral. And I thought about that, and I thought, oh my, I sure hope we don't do that. Then sometimes I thought about it, I think sometimes we maybe do. But there's a little bit of it where it is kind of like a funeral. But it's, uh, well, good funerals don't end there in sadness. They, they, they look to the future. That's really, again, where it's at. It, it maybe does start off as a funeral because we are remembering some pretty terrible things in the shed blood and broken body of Jesus. But it's a celebration to continue as we look to his coming again. Jesus said, as Paul recorded here, take, eat, this is my body. He says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. He says, do this in remembrance of me. It's important for us to notate a particular thing about the Lord's Supper. You'll notice in our church's statement of faith that it says that the Lord's Supper, which is partaking by believers of unleavened bread, symbolic of the broken body of Christ, and grape juice, symbolic of the shed blood of Christ. There's a lot of confusion throughout church history as to what this all means and what it all is the purpose of it. There are two key things in this. The first thing is that communion, the Lord's table, is a memorial. It is a remembrance. It's a memorial. It's a remembrance. It's a showing forth, a picturing of it. And it's also a symbol, which is a picture of it. Um, There are different groups who have tried to tie this and to say that when he says, take, eat, this is my body, that the communion bread itself literally becomes the body of Jesus Christ, which is not true. But there are many, and we're talking many millions of people, who believe that. And the same they believe regarding the, the juice, that it becomes the literal blood of Jesus Christ. Actually, for some time, I have, I have often heard this, and I've read about it, and um, I've always struggled to understand the concept of one group who holds that it becomes literally the body, blood, and Christ, and there's one group who says that it contains the body and blood of Christ, and there is one group who says that it is purely symbolic. I hate that I have to even bring this up, but I do because it is so prevalent and it's important for us to understand it because there are many people who have been led astray and many people who have been confused and even some people have been just bluntly grossed out by the whole concept when, because of these false views and understanding of what the bread and the grape juice are. When we observe communion here, It is bread, and it is only bread. And it is grape juice, and it is only grape juice. And they are symbols, and only symbols, pictures to represent Jesus' broken body and Jesus' 
shed blood. And it's important for us to recognize that they are symbolic. They're symbolic. It's nothing that becomes mystical. They are simply symbolic. It is still bread. It is still grape juice. They are simply symbols, pictures, illustrations representing Christ's body and shed blood. It's interesting that they use it. You'll see in our statement of faith it speaks of unleavened bread. Well, why was it unleavened bread? Well, you'll see here in the context of this passage is dealing with the feast of unleavened bread as we saw over in Matthew. It was a feast of the Jews. Leaven is yeast. So unleavened bread is bread that does not rise. It's, it's unleavened bread, like crackers. And why is this? And is there any significance to it? Again, we don't have a lot of time to go into it, but to just give you an overview of it, in Scripture, the concept and idea of leaven carries different symbolism in different times. One of the most common symbols of it used by Jesus and others is that leaven, the, the yeast, is oftentimes used as a teaching illustration of sin and how when it's in a lump, it multiplies if you've ever seen a video under microscope, um, don't even need a microscope sometimes, to see leaven begin to divide and multiply. And in the scriptures, oftentimes, leaven is spoken of in this symbolic way, in a very negative way. With that said, there is another one that's actually positive, but that's the most common view. And so here it is. That's one reason why we use unleavened bread, is that symbolism of moving forth we are here as Christians cleansed from sin. We're washed clean. And the sin is put away from us as we are walking in Christ Jesus. These are symbols, and they are to remind us of what Christ did for us. In our statement of faith, we also speak of there being no efficacy in the elements. Hmm, what's that mean? Well, let me put it this way. There's no special supernatural power you will receive because you take communion. There's no special magical powers, spiritual powers, um, mystical powers. There's no effect in that way by partaking of communion. Now, there is spiritual significance but that's different than some magical, mystical power. You don't now get some kind of, by partaking of communion, supernatural ability to fight demons. I once knew someone who was determined to fight demons and had to go find somebody to have communion with so they could go fight demons. There's two problems with that conversation I had. One is that um, if I'm dealing with demons, I'm going to follow the model that... Um, the, uh, another angel followed and said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. I'm not battling with the demons. Instead, I'm going to hide in Christ and be strong in him and let him do the fighting with the demons. But where this idea of having communion somehow would give this person this supernatural power to go fight the demons. That's not, that's not anything with it. There's, no, there's nothing like that that comes in this. Now, that one we kind of, I see some of you, you smirked at it. 
you kind of think that's silly. And, and you're kind of right, that's pretty far-fetched, far out there. But there's another area of this that is, is somewhat disturbing, that's a little bit more um, significant. And that is that some believe that partaking of the Lord's Supper has some kind of power and effect, efficacy, effect, in their salvation and forgiveness of sins. And there lies a big problem. Because by eating of bread and of drinking of cup, no matter how it's been blessed, it's not going to do anything to save your soul. It's not going to do anything to wash away your sins or to cleanse or purge any sin from within you. There is no effect like that. There is no efficacy in these elements, neither mystical nor spiritual in that sense. So what is the purpose? Well, our statement of faith states it in this way, that the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to show forth his death until he comes. Where do we get that? Look in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. Paul writes to this church and giving them admonition and instruction says this, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Here is what it is. It is a showing forth. It is illustrating it is a remembrance. It causes us to remember what he did for us, to give thanks for what he did for us, and to look till he come again. This is what communion is. It is simply bread. It is simply grape juice that are simple Symbols, illustrations, and pictures of Jesus' broken body, shed blood to cause us to remember what Jesus did for us to give thanks and to remember that when Jesus last had grape juice, he said, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's the day we look forward to, which is why we pray so often when we observe communion, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is all a, a, a symbolic time of remembering what he did and looking forward to the time when in the actual physical presence of Jesus Christ, we will break bread together and we will share in sweet communion with our Savior, physically with him in the kingdom of God. What a day, what a day that will be. And so I leave you this morning with two important questions. The first one is for those who are not in the body of Christ. 
you have not received the forgiveness of sins. Your sins have not been washed away. As a church family, we are looking forward to observing communion the first Sunday in February. If you haven't had your sins washed away, you can't join us. Because to be worthy, you need to be in Jesus and need to be clothed in his righteousness with his worthiness. Will you today believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Believe that you are a sinner, that Jesus died for you, was buried, rose again, and that Jesus only can save you and make you worthy of everlasting life, his life in you. Today, will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved so that you can join us at the Lord's Supper and so that you can join us more significantly at that great marriage supper of the Lamb, that day in the future when we'll all be gathered together with Jesus in glory. Will you join us in the Lord's Supper? You must believe in him and receive his forgiveness of sins. And brothers and sisters, will you not wait till the first Sunday of the month? But will you today glory and live in the worthiness of Jesus? Will you today rejoice and live in the worthiness of Jesus? He is the only one worthy. And it's only when we are in him and abiding in him, walking in his spirit, that we receive the joy and the peace of being worthy only because he is worthy. Let's look to Jesus. Let's look to Jesus. Looking back at what he did for us, looking up and giving thanks for what he did and thanks for what he's promised to come again. And let us live motivated day by day not walking in the old man or in the lusts of the flesh, but by walking in the Spirit, looking to that glorious day. May that glorious day motivate us when we will be there together with, with Christ, rejoicing in Him as we break bread together. And as He, for the first time in at least 2,000 years, will partake of the fruit of the vine, the very thing He created to be the delight of man, Will we partake it with him? Will we be motivated by that perspective and joy? Let's go forth today, praising, rejoicing in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to be our Savior. Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for rising from the dead, bringing to us life and hope. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given to us this special, this special time of communion for us to remember. And we do just that, for us to give thanks. May we do that not just in this meal, but always and every day. And may we look for your return. We look for your return, Lord Jesus. It is our blessed hope. You are our blessed hope. 
And may we abide in you as we look for your return. And may we walk in your spirit. Holy Spirit, fill us. Use us. May we not quench you, but may we walk and be filled by you. We need you now. Lord Jesus, I pray for those here this morning who have not believed on you, who have not received the forgiveness of sins, that today they would believe on you, that today you would save them, and that today you would wash their sins away so they can join us here in communion just this next month. But how much glorious it will be as that simple time of communion looks forward to that glorious time we be together. Father, I pray that each one here in this room will have trusted in you and be there for that great feast. We look to that day and we glory in you. May we be faithful witnesses of you, faithful ambassadors of you, and may we walk humbly with you, our God. We praise your holy name, and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.